0: Welcome back to the Blaze and Access podcast, amplifying the disability voice one story at a time. I'm your host and executive producer, Blaze Bryant. I'm happy to have with me as my guest, Nico Myring, whom I just met a few days ago when he asked me to be on a podcast, a YouTube podcast about Disability Pride Month. Today, Nico and I are going to talk about the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and where we need to go from here because, frankly, it's been around since 1990 and all these celebrations we celebrate but don't progress. So let's get straight into that. Nico, it's good to be back with you on Zoom. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on the Blazing Access Podcast
1: blaze thank you so much for having me it is always a joy to speak with you y-
0: y- you know then you don't know me that well then <laughs> uh in in the pleasure is mine so when you hear the ada or americans with disabilities
1: zach nico
0: what are mm-hmm. some of the things that pop into your head
1: so the americans with disabilities act the first thing that pops into my head is the fact that this is not distant history This is actually fairly recent. I'm 34 years old, and I'm older than the ADA. A lot of disabled people are older than the ADA, and the Americans with Disabilities Act only came about after a lot of disability-led activism that we don't teach in schools, we don't teach our younger generations, generally speaking, and most importantly, the ADA is a starting point. It is a jumping off point. It is not the be all end all. And I think that sometimes people lose sight of that fact.
0: For sure. I mean, you are just a little bit older than me. I was born actually about 15 months after the ADA was passed. So it's really Mm -hmm. kind of amazing how just a few years, less than four years, has an entirely different spin and perspective on this.
1: That's right. Because my disability doesn't necessarily come with mobility needs or other commonly used access needs, I spent a lot of time in my younger disabled years thinking that the ADA doesn't apply to me or doesn't directly benefit me, but let's be clear. The ADA limits disability discrimination in many aspects of life. There's specific building requirements like ramps or doorway width. There's requirements related to public infrastructure, like curb cuts on sidewalks, Uh, job requirements in terms of equal opportunity and public transit accessibility, fair medical treatment, and most importantly, the freedom to exercise these rights, ideally, without retaliation. So if you've ever, like me, benefited from subtitles on your Netflix or your Hulu binges, If you've ever looked for sidewalk curb cuts or have been walking with someone who needed to use them, then you have also benefited from the ADA.
0: Everyone benefits, Nico Myring, for sure. But at what point do people stop benefiting from it? Because, let's face it, yeah, there's been progress, Mm -hmm. but we're here to talk about what still needs to happen.
1: That's fair. So, one of the things that needs to happen and is not happening is that the ADA needs to be implemented and enforced, right? Exactly. So, exactly. so, we see this in large urban areas here in the U.S. Think about New York City, for example, where a lot of the subway elevators are non-functional or not best suited for people that need to use them people with disabilities i believe that new york city has said that within the next 20 to 30 years they'll have full ada compliance which means they're only 50 or 60 years behind the ball and this is injustice personified yeah
0: and it's also a glaring admission that hey we've done a lot of shit wrong here
1: that's right but they're in no hurry to fix it
0: because they're not being held accountable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you live in a major city, yes. And I tried to emphasize "major" a bit more. Um, where you are, uh, how AD or how disability friendly is the transportation
1: industry? So here in Philadelphia, we have public transit that's called SEPTA, the Southeast Pennsylvania Transportation authority and they operate buses as well as some limited subways and regional rail as well Um, they do their best to comply with the ada like a lot of public transit systems here in the u.s um, trains and buses are not always timely Uh, it's not always a quick thing to get people that use wheelchairs on board and off board quickly. And of course, I'm always hearing people that uh, don't use mobility devices, offer snide or sarcastic comments when our bus has to stop to load someone on or to help someone in a wheelchair or someone with different mobility needs get off. And this really, really bugs me, Blaze, and I'll tell you why. It's not just the lack of consideration or the lack of compassion for your fellow human being. It's the fact that in almost every other aspect of life, you'd be happy to wait five or ten minutes for any other cause, but waiting uh, five minutes or less to let someone with a wheelchair or someone with a mobility device on the bus That inconveniences you. That is the point at which you decide to make a snide comment under your breath. Have some compassion.
0: Ding, 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 ding. ding. You hit the nail precisely on the head. Mm
1: -hmm. And I've
0: got a good story for you. I mean, because you used to live here in the Albany area where I'm doing the show from. Yes. I was with a friend. We were going to one of the local malls. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we, were, we were on the bus. It was a packed bus, absolutely packed. And there was a person who was a wheelchair user that uh, wanted to get on, you know? Mm-hmm. Why not? So as everything is happening, there's this lady in the back of the bus and she's screaming about how she's going to be late to work because this wheelchair user is trying to get on the bus or trying to get on a bus that is packed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I wasn't standing for that. No, nah, no. Nah. Eh, eh. I mean, I I was just flat out like evidently you have no concept of disability. We we were shouting at each other from each end of the bus. Mm-hmm. It's something I mean, I, something, this happened about 10 years ago and I have the same reaction today. Because, God forbid, you feel like your life is being inconvenienced by disabled people. And she tried to justify it by saying, oh, you know, I have a bunch of family that that have disabilities and la-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I go, well, you may have family with disabilities, but you sure as hell have no compassion for them.
1: That's right. If you, as an able-bodied person, get annoyed at having to wait only in this one instance, imagine how inconvenienced or impatient the person who actually uses that mobility device must feel for you. It is a temporary delay, but for that person, they experience those delays multiple times a day throughout their life. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: did you see, this came out earlier in the week that we're taping this. Uber is paying the, uh, basically Uber settled a settlement with the Justice Department to pay millions yes, of saw. dollars. Yeah, millions of dollars because people were charged wait fees who needed more than two minutes to get in the car. Mm. Uh, whether they're a wheelchair user or need a need a walker. I mean, this is exactly the stuff that we're talking about, things that never should have happened in the first place. And I don't know if you remember, Nico, there was a time when Uber had a five-minute waiting period, and they shrunk it down to two. And That's
1: right. It's an example of disabled people paying that disability tax, right? That's a perfect way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Disabled people
0: paying a disability tax. And it's more than sales tax. I mean, this is a significant tax that people
1: pay. That's true. It's not just a financial tax. It is a payment in emotional labor. It is a payment of extra time. And it is a payment of, I guess, instability would be the best way to put it. Think about what it takes for an able-bodied American to just live comfortably, to just go maybe 24 to 48 hours without having to worry about money. And then think about how much higher that price point is to a disabled person who has increased medication costs, increased cost for assistive devices or what have you. I realize that this isn't exactly an ADA-specific issue, but it really annoys me. Another thing that annoys me, more specific to the ADA, is that the ADA still does not prevent disabled people from being paid well below federal minimum wage if they're considered less productive in their jobs or if their job is related to some kind of uh, disability employment program or a sheltered workshop right
0: yeah I mean what you're what you're talking about just to somewhat educate the lay person on this is a thing called section 14c in the labor law which uh-huh. basically and and this was implemented Nico I want to say it was 1938 I could be wrong on that but this is essentially what allows people uh, People with disabilities, you know, in these sheltered workshop type settings to get paid less than minimum wage. I mean, then, A, it begs this question. What is actually minimum wage? Mm
1: -hmm. And how
0: the hell can people get away with this?
1: Yes, you're right. So this was a New Deal era law that ultimately was intended to encourage employment of more people, but in 2020, the US Commission on Civil Rights said that this exemption, right, this exemption carved out for disabled people where people like you and me can earn just $3.34 an hour, um, ultimately is unjust. It is exploitative and discriminatory, but this is like still the case. Right, Our progress has stalled, so it's ultimately on us again, as disabled people to um, whip up that outrage, raise awareness, and hopefully in the future, get something changed. Uh, I think it's called the Fair Labor Standards Act, or FLSA.
0: Yes, yeah, FLSA, yep, I mean, because it's just and and I get it. You know, when this was passed in 1938, well, I'm talking about the we're talking about the 14C thing here. 1938, we were going through a, the Great Depression. Employment was was down significantly. And you know, the irony's not lost on me too that the president at the time was a person with a disability.
1: That's true. How screwed up is that, bro? I mean, it is incredibly screwed up, actually, one of my fascinations is talking about u s presidential history uh-huh let's do it let's do it so FDR is a weird example because uh, FDR was someone who had largely a lifelong disability, and he is he was someone that ultimately thought that he had to hide this in order to be seen as strong or presidential or worthy of leadership. So he had very strict guidelines around how he could be photographed, and he took extra pains to pose in like semi-athletic poses.
0: Mm.
1: Well, he might be seated down in the back of a car, but he would be throwing a baseball to someone, or he would be surrounded by family. Or he might be standing in front of a podium, but what no one would see would, that, would be that he would be wearing leg braces and other assistive devices that helped him walk. So he always had to be kind of punching back against his disability. And I feel badly that he felt like he had to do that. The earlier President Roosevelt, Teddy, Um, was someone who lived with asthma conditions and he was also dogged by bouts of depression we see this most strongly when he dealt with loss in his personal life so uh, Teddy Roosevelt lost his first wife and his mother actually within a very short time frame like within the same day Mm. and I think he referred to depression in his personal journals as, and I quote, a black pace, right? There's always something right behind him, keeping pace with him. And he referred to it as black pace. Um, To combat his asthma, uh, Teddy decided to like exercise, take up hobbies that were seen as being very manly, so to speak. So hunting, fishing, being out in nature, doing lots of exercise. um, This was all things that he thought he could do to train his body, become more manly, become stronger. And I mean, this worked for him. It really became part of his public persona. It's what led him to, you know, the vice presidency and then the presidency. So... He wasn't wrong, but again, I just wish that both Roosevelt's could have come to better terms with their disabilities and not had to hide them, not had to make excuses for them, and not had to put on airs just to be seen as worthy of functioning in public life. But you know what, though, Nico Myring.
0: People still feel like they need to do that today because the societal view of disability is still largely medical.
1: That's true. Yes, people do still feel that way. And I myself have felt that way probably as recently as last week. I still have significant um, probably mental barriers and emotional barriers, a lot of internalized ableism right, which I know you and I spoke about when you appeared on my video project earlier, where I love helping disabled people. I love speaking with disabled people. But then when the tables are turned, and I'm in a position where I could benefit from someone helping me, I have this voice in the back of my head that says, no, that's wrong. Um, No, you don't need that help. Or you know, because you're not as disabled as the other person, you don't deserve that help. When the reality is, um, to use an analogy, right, you and I might be submerged, I might be under 10 feet of water, you might be under 20 feet of water, but we're both still drowning, like we both need help still. And that's something that I'm working on realizing and navigating. Yeah, so in summary, internalized ableism is still a thing, and the shortfalls of the ADA still make ableism an insidious part of daily life for disabled Americans.
0: Absolutely, I mean, and you know, the internalized ableism is such a real issue, I mean, it's not going to change until the societal view changes and Mm -hmm. yeah, we only have control over that in our own little micro worlds, but talking about it from a more global systemic standpoint, that's the only way it's going to change. So let's, let's talk about what like, you know, crystal ball this for me, Nico. Sure. Three things that you would like to see done differently with the ada in the next oh let's say 15 to 20 years
1: okay definitely so in the next 15 to 20 years here's three things that i think the ada could improve upon or actions that i think we need to codify into law to make american society more equal for disabled people Ultimately, we need fair pay for fair work. Yes. So here's why I say this. Pay based on productivity maybe makes sense from a business viewpoint, but it contributes to the economic inequality of disabled people. It treats our time and our efforts as inherently unequal. Secondly, the ADA needs to be equally, fairly, and consistently enforced. ADA violations abound, not just in New York City, not just in Albany, not just in Philadelphia, but across our country. When ADA violations proliferate across this great nation, our accessibility is Limited. And the ADA does not always prevent disability discrimination because discrimination is very difficult to actually prove and penalize. We need stronger, more comprehensive laws in place, whether couched within the ADA or couched within new legislation to make sure that disabled people like you and me. Have a fair shot at success, an equal shot at success, an equitable shot at success. Disability rights are human rights, Blaze Bryant.
0: Indeed, they are, Nico Myring, And, (laughs) you know, the other piece of this, too, and everything you said is spot on. Yes. The ADA doesn't do crap for mental health.
1: That's also true. Thank you for reminding me.
0: Because, if anything that the pandemic continues to show us because we're not out of it. And yes. who the hell knows when we're going to be, you know, I'll just talk about, oh, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, and la-da-da-da-da, uh, stop, just stop with that because we're not coming out of it, is the fact that mental health is physical health. And without yeah. mental health, you're
1: nothing. Mm-hmm. It is all connected. You are right. I'm also reminded of how, you know, our current president, Joe Biden, is uh, someone who has a speech impediment. Yeah. Right. So he you would think he'd be more sympathetic to the plights of disabled people. And I hope that he's able to recover fully and quickly from covid. It seems like he has a mild case of covid right now. I do recall that he recorded a video where he said that his symptoms are mild and he's still working. He's working through COVID. What kind of example does this set for people who get infected with COVID and ultimately do need to take it easy, ultimately do need to rest and spend days not working?
0: Yeah. I mean, I also know having a, background in communications and some strategic communication stuff. I don't know what else he could have said, Nico, because, again, our our view on this stuff is so skewed. Mm-hmm. And no matter what he says, just because the world is so damn polarized, that I think it's something that he had to say versus, oh, I'm too tired to, to do this because I have COVID. You know, then the whole... Oh, he's too old to do the job. He's too old to do this, too old to do that, uh, too old to be relevant. Then that narrative pops up, and that's a narrative that, hell, He there's no way you can defend that. So it's one of those things, unfortunately, that he has to say.
1: That's true. I keep thinking about the limitations of the ADA, and how disabled people still don't have full equality. Ultimately, we're still three times more likely to experience violence. We're 26% less likely to get a call back for a job interview. And I'm someone who's trying to career pivot right now. We're three times more likely and three times more often to be denied the healthcare that we need which is especially pernicious because we as disabled people are more likely to keep doctor appointments and more likely to have frequent doctor appointments. We're more likely to be left behind in climate disasters and other disasters. We're more likely to experience voter disenfranchisement and we're more likely to live in poverty. So in all these ways, and more, we still don't have equality. Life is still more difficult for us and general negative attitudes towards disabled people, towards the concept of disability itself persists today.
0: You nailed it, my friend. And truly the greatest waste of time is ableism.
1: It is, I like how you put that, ableism is a waste of time. Like, all these negative thoughts are a waste of time, and it's a heavy thing to carry around. For sure.
0: Final thing. What, what else would you like to add that either I didn't ask you or stuff that just popped into your head here?
1: Well, you and I have taken a very well-deserved hardline stance toward ableism. I also want to point out that ableism – can be unintentional. It can be subconscious. And as I've mentioned here before, disabled people and able-bodied people can have ableist thoughts. Uh, Ultimately, we see infrastructure ableism when we observe that ADA compliance is often poorly enforced or completely non-existent and left unchecked. Ableism can come from unintentional acts or feelings when you have a meeting, when you're hosting a meeting, for example, that is not easily accessible by everyone. Societal norms can be ableist when uh, you, for example, hire an able-bodied person to play a disabled role in a film or in a TV show. Societal norms can be ableist when we do not teach disability-related history or disability-related education in schools. The time to act is now. The place to act is right here. And the best place to start is where you are. Any way that you can dismantle ableism is a way that you should dismantle ableism. And we have tons of resources that can help you learn about disabled history and about ableism today and about the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Throughout this interview, I have benefited from a resource called How We Got to Now and Their Post on Disability History, written by Jessica Lopez with Eric Prince. The article is called the history of Disabled People, and it was published July 20, 2021, on the website howwegottonow.com. I trained as a historian in college, and I would be a poor historian indeed if I did not cite my sources, and if I did not give a shout out to the disabled and disability scholars who inform our work now. For
0: sure... Those links will be in the show notes because you reminded me to put those in there. Of course, and I'd be a horse's ass if I didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can email you the exact URL.
0: Oh, I mean, I I can I can look it up. You you gave me everything I needed to look it up. Um, okay, you know, either way is fine. And the reason I'm not going to edit this part of the conversation out is because. It's important that we take the time to look up things that we either don't know or want to know more about.
1: That's true.
0: Because how else do we learn?
1: That is a valid concern. I guess I will close by stating that one in four adults here in the US, a full 25% of us, has a disability. That means that every single issue in American life, in American society, in American politics, is a disability issue. The best thing we can do now is listen to disabled people and believe them. And
0: as our mutual friend Denise Donato would say, disability community is the largest minority group that you can join at any time.
1: That's true. Denise is 100% correct.
0: In this instance, yes. No, no, she is far more often than that. But uh, I figured she'd probably listen to this. So, uh, <laughs> Nico Myring, what a pleasure this was. I would love to do another podcast with you in the future. And if there's anything I can you know, do for anything that you're working on, uh, by all means, this is a two-way street.
1: Blaze, thank you so much for having me. And have a wonderful weekend.
0: You as well. Thank you for listening to the Blazon Access Podcast, a Blazing Shows production. You can find the show on your favorite podcast platform as well as on social media at facebook.com slash Shows. It's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. Same with Twitter and my website, which is blazingshows.com. If you can, please consider supporting the show so there is the money and resources to continue making the podcast more accessible to all. I'm your host and executive producer, Blaze Bryant. Thank you again for listening to the Blaze and Access podcast amplifying the disability voice one story at a time.